and welcome to the North Decatur Presbyterian Church Sermon Series. We're a PCUSA congregation in Decatur, Georgia. If you'd like to find out more about us, go to ndpc.org or just come by and visit. Here's this week's sermon. The Gospel lesson comes to us from Jesus who was confronted by some lawyers who were trying to see if he would stumble in asking him, of all the commandments, which is the greatest? And here is what Jesus said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle reading was already beautifully interpreted for us by Rick. So we'll come back to that during this thinking out loud about what is being said in these scripture passages. And we so need these right now. Um, I'm just wondering if you've ever heard this sentence. I'm a spiritual person, I'm not religious. Yeah, maybe you even said it yourself from time to time. I'm a spiritual person, I'm not religious. What does that mean? Does it mean I don't go to church now, but I do believe in God? The pandemic kind of forced people into questioning, who am I when I'm not part of an organized religion, at least attending a church? Do I even need the church? Can't I just be a Christian and not live with all the religious trappings? The the term Christian has taken on kind of a negative feel for a lot of people who associate it with moralistic religion instead of the gospel spirituality that Jesus intended. The gospel means good news. Is that what people think of when we tell them, I'm a Christian? Do they think, yay, good news, a Christian? The term Christian means little Christ. So is that what people think of us? Little Christ? Someone transformed into the image of Christ? Healing? Manifesting incredible power and strength? Is that what people see among us? The world is confused by Christians who don't seem to really know Christ. Mahatma Gandhi once said, I almost might have become a Christian, except I knew too many Christians. (laughs) You know how Facebook is often encouraging people to follow so-and-so and 
So we rate their success by how many followers they have. And some who click follow did it once and never again looked at that site. And some Christians, I think, click on Christ once and then forget it. People who really follow Christ are hungry, longing to know him, to read his blogs, to think about what drives him, his astonishing effects on people to be restored. Jesus says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, study me, follow me, and I will give you rest for your souls. As John reminds us in this scripture, we Christians know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Jesus is God. So Jesus is love. And when we take on the yoke of Jesus, we find it light, much more like his arm draped over our shoulder in love and support. And when we begin to trust that his arm is always around us, we learn of Christ. The alternative is that we don't trust that that arm is around us. And then God becomes fearful, lacking love. Religion fears loss, loss of power, loss of status. I've drawn upon the thoughts of New York City Presbyterian Pastor Tim Keller, who clearly lays out the difference between moralistic religion and gospel spirituality. And so I'd like to do a little bit of research right here in the privacy of this sanctuary. If you're up for it, just put your fists out on your knees. And I'm going to speak some beliefs in two categories, religion and gospel. So each time you hear me say, uh, and believe a statement in the religion category, lay out one of your fingers on your knee, on your right hand. Religion, right hand. Gospel, left hand. Each time you hear a belief in the gospel beliefs category, just lay it out. And just see for yourself where you fall in this beliefs category. So religion says, I obey, therefore I'm accepted by God. Gospel, left hand, says, I'm accepted by God, therefore I obey. Religion says, my motivation for staying close to God is based on fear and insecurity. Gospel says, my motivation for staying close to God 
is based on my grateful joy at being loved. Religion says, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I'm angry with God or myself, since I believe that anyone who's good deserves a comfortable life. Gospel, when circumstances in my life go wrong, I struggle. But I know that my shame has already fallen on Jesus, and while he may allow this, he will exercise great love for me throughout this trial. Religion. When I am criticized, I feel furious and devastated because it's critical to think of myself as a good person. Threats to that self-image must be destroyed at any cost. Gospel. When I am criticized, I struggle, but I don't have to think of myself as a good person or even perfect. My identity is not built on my record, on not on my performance. It's built on God's love and Christ's performance for me. I can take criticism and realize that's not all that I'm about. Religion. My prayers consist largely of requests. My, need, my prayers heat up when I'm in time of need. My main purpose in prayer is to control my environment. Gospel. My prayer life consists of generous stretches of gratitude, praise, adoration. I feel like God is near me all day long. And finally, religion. My identity and my worth are based on how successful I am, how hard I work, being right. This leads me to disdain those who are weaker than me and hang out with people who are successful like me. Gospel. My identity and worth are based on Jesus only. Jesus, who died for his enemies, so I am saved. I'm rescued by his grace alone. I can't look down on those who are different from me, who practice or even believe something different from me. Only by grace I am what I am. I don't have to win any arguments. Okay, so that's the research. I'm not going to ask you where you scored higher as someone who believes more in moralistic religion or someone who believes in the grace of the gospel. But we behave what we believe. So you can say, I know that God cares for me, but find that you're still paralyzed with fear about something, unable to do something because of that fear. Then do you really believe that God will love you even when you fail? You may believe in a religion, but not the gospel. Or if you say, God is my security and will provide whatever I need when I need it. But live a life that is not generous, fists clenched, looking over your shoulder, gun at the ready. Do you really believe that God is your security? 
Or suppose you find yourself lying a lot. There's a belief somewhere deep inside you that says, I need to be approved of by this person who won't love me if I tell the truth, so I need to lie. On the outside, we can say the religious thing like, lying is bad, it hurts you psychologically, it hurts your community. But on the inside, our heart believes something else. I don't believe that God loves me just as flawed as I am, so I need to lie about my flaws. I need to look perfect. At the moment you lie, you don't believe the gospel message, that God loves you, will care for you, even if you tell the unpleasant truth and have to face some negative consequences. And that's what we fear. John reminds us that fear is about punishment, and the worst punishment is withdrawal of love, rejection. Religion can often push this fearful message. You are not going to be loved by God because you are shameful and not worthy of love. It starts early. So that little three up begins to feel that most painful of emotions shame. I'm not worthy of being remembered, cared about. Or that 10-year-old feeling shame. Daddy's still drinking and yelling despite my best efforts to be cute, to be funny, to be smart, to be good. So I guess I'm not enough for him to stop. I'm not loved. I'm rejected. That fear and shame can dominate our thinking and the way we behave for years as we grow into adults with that same wounding belief, I'm not loved. Because not enough is a shaming belief. And these wounding beliefs come under that biblical term iniquities. We don't even use that word anymore iniquities, things that other people do that hurt us and yet leave us wounded by shame. Sins are in a different category, transgressions, that say, I'm guilty, I did bad. But shame doesn't say, I did bad. Shame says, I am bad. I am not enough. I am wrong. I was this thinking this week about Jesus in Gethsemane when he was sweating drops of blood in anticipation of what was awaiting him. Was he afraid of something? Fear is a human emotion and Jesus was tested in every way as we are. But if, I wonder if at that point there was one thing he had never yet experienced that most painful emotion, shame. Because he knew he was intricately related to God.
The name Satan really means the accuser. And Satan has done a job on us, dear ones. So for Jesus to take on the shame, past, present, and future, of every human being on this earth, to take on their identity of the accused, to take on that deep psycho-spiritual pain, no wonder he was sweating blood. It was unspeakably painful, unlike anything any human being has ever experienced. But he took it on so that we would never have to fear. The Catholic mystic Richard Rohr says the Latin word innocence means unwounded. Here we worship a wounded man. And we say, in his wounds lies our salvation. And yet much of our moral concentration is on proving we're not wounded, we're not wrong, we're not flawed. Sins and iniquities generate fear. And fear does powerful things to us. That bodily fight or flight reaction in our bodies makes us hear things, see things that aren't there. Our digestion stops, reproduction hormones shut down, thinking gets foggy. Mostly we fear death. People are feeling very fearful these days with COVID, war, violence, money issues, weather-related disasters, fires. But believing in God's perfect love will cast out our fear. It will all be okay in the end. It's almost like we live in Hawaii, and we've already, we're watching the Super Bowl, but we already know the ending. And so when someone flubs the ball, we say, it's okay, it's gonna be all right in the end, I know who wins, and we relax. Mark says, we who believe in Jesus, know the end of the story. We rely on that love that God pours onto us. When we're facing judgment, even death, we have no fear because we know who won and his arm is around us. Around us, underneath us, are everlasting arms. And so our bodies relax and heal. Now is the time for we who claim the name Christian, who click that we follow Jesus, to pay attention to that loving arm that rests around our shoulder.
and ask Jesus to show us how to love. As John puts it, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete so that we will have confidence in the day of judgment because in this world, we are like him. There is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. So practically, how do we love that porch pirate that stole our Amazon package? Ask Jesus. How do we love that family member who won't shut up about their political beliefs that you don't share? Ask the rabbi whose disciples fussed about being first, last, being right. How do we love that person on the other end of a barrel, a gun barrel, who's threatening your well-being? Ask Jesus, who on the night he was betrayed, took time in the midst of that chaos to stoop down to the ground and pick up the ear of the guard that fearful Peter had swung off his head. Peter watched as Jesus calmly replaced the ear back on the head of that guard, instantly restoring him. As though the Prince of Peace, even in chaos, was reminding followers of God's promise, spoken by the prophet Joel. I will restore the years that the locusts have eaten. Jesus' loving response to that guard, I will restore the ears my fearful followers lop off. We can learn like Jesus, to respond and not react. Respond, don't react. We won't be able to love if we react. And they won't be able to love if they fear us. Perfect love casts out fear. And dear ones, we won't know how to love others unless we first understand and accept that God has first loved us and that God has been delighting in you from before you were even born. There's nothing you have ever done or will do that will make God love you more or less than God does right now. And if you've tried to get a sense of this love and it still hasn't happened for you, try again with no distractions. And when you hear God's still, small voice within you, don't just brush it away, oh, I just heard that because that's what my brain wants me to hear. How else is God supposed to get a message across to you when you've already decided not to believe it ahead of time? People who believe only in religion behave as if they have never heard God speak to them 
even though they may quote scripture. They behave as though they've never felt his arm around them. They live in fear of others because they don't accept that they're loved by Jesus. They leave the sanctuary after worship and only greet the people who are just like them. Jesus is saying, love bravely. Love people who aren't like you. Love the people you'd be most likely to gossip about. Love them. Be brave. Listen to them. Learn their stories. And when we find it hard to love them, we can talk to our coach whose arm is already around us. We'd like to think that we have no enemies, but the fact is that there are people who persecute us, people who have expectations of you that they want you to fulfill, and when you don't, they threaten to reject you. These are our enemies, people who set conditions on their acceptance of you and we feel like we're behind bars. Love them, says Jesus. Pray for those who persecute you. Why? Because that shows your true identity as one who knows, not just thinks, but knows the feel of that arm around you. Which of the commandments is the greatest, Jesus was asked. Love God, Jesus replies. Love God with everything you've got, and then love others as you love yourself. This means we have to love ourselves before we can love others. We have to be open to our flaws, to not being okay, and love ourselves, have compassion on ourselves. The irony of being a gospel follower of Jesus, Christian, is that you come to realize that you were once an enemy of God, expecting high things of God, expecting God to be your magic genie, to fulfill your wishes and your desires, fearing God wouldn't really love you. But God has always loved you without any expectations of you. So dear spiritual beings, you are free to love the way you were created to love. And no one else in this world will ever love quite the way you can without fear. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.